Some have a point to prove, but others have already ticked that one off. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark left into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of F1 in Review, the episode, the hour and part two of where we look back at round four of this season where we went to Imola. I'm Tom Claiborne and I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. You can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as F1 in Review, the account we have there. And first of all, before launching into the first topic of this episode, some news in terms of Formula One it has been a rather busy week and the biggest news from all of this being that Audi and Porsche have decided to enter Formula Formula One, according to their parent group Volkswagen, it's understood they'll be coming into the sport in 2026 when the new engine regulations come into force. And now going on to our topics for this episode, the elephant in the room in terms of Formula One, Lewis Hamilton, what's up with him? I, I would ask him myself, but I lost his number many years ago. He's currently 7th in the Drivers' Championship, finished uh, P13 in Imola, and you could say that's an isolated event, you know, give him some slack, come on. But P10 as well in Saudi Arabia, not getting out of Q1, qualifying in P16, and yes, he's got P4 and P3 in Bahrain and Australia respectively, but let's be fair, he's been nowhere near the podium or a race win on pace alone, which is fair to say. The only reason he's finished so high in those two races, I'd argue, is because largely the better cars, the Red Bulls namely, didn't finish owing to their prior win out of reliability issues. And you could go and say, well, yeah, but he's got a worse car than last year. You know, he can't have it all his own way. He will falter at some point. That's absolutely correct for sure. But when you consider they're seemingly closer to McLaren and Haas versus uh, Red Bull and Ferrari, and you've got George Russell finishing no lower than fifth, and this is debut season for Mercedes in full... You've got to think, well, it can't just be the car, but then again, it can't be Lewis Hamilton. You can't go from nearly beating Schumacher's record of eight world championships in December to being a really average driver in March and April and struggling to score points and get out of Q1. So what do we think then? What's going on with Lewis Hamilton? Can he redeem himself? Do you see him winning any race this season or getting back onto the podium? Or is this the beginning of the end for some would say, maybe the best driver in Formula 1's history. He's picked up a lot of criticism, hasn't he? And and when we're listening to the commentary, actually, Imola, <laughs> Nico Rosberg was pointing out quite quite a lot. They would be like, oh, Rosberg, what, what do you think about the battle at the front? And he'd be like, oh, they're doing okay. But do you know who's not doing okay? Lewis Hamilton, who is struggling once again. And he, he seems to be the number one cheerleader for Lewis Hamilton's struggles this this year. Cool. You can tell that their relationship hasn't got better since they they drove together in the uh, Mercedes back in the day. I think perhaps Rosberg is reflecting on a, a portion of the community's attitudes towards you know, Lewis Hamilton's current um, issues with the car. I mean, the car is definitely difficult to drive, and and Toto Wolff has apologised to Lewis for it. Seems like at the moment they're vertical side pod system isn't really working all that well and George Russell I I actually think because of his experience in Williams he's more adept at the moment to dealing with a car that is perhaps fighting a a little bit against you and in Hamilton's defense he has been in a car that's been really lovely to drive. Whenever we see anyone jump into the Mercedes cars from about 2016 onwards, they all say the same thing. They all say, oh, this is amazing. It's so easy to drive. It's it's nice. It feels like it's working with you. And I think that's what we have to all remember is as a driver, you get used to your equipment. It, it, you know, I, And that applies to all sports, I, I suppose. 
not just Formula One. And so chucking him in a car that is now difficult, it's bouncing all over the place. And yeah, I, I think it's going to have that negative impact on his abilities and his results. So I, I, I don't know what's happened to him. I think he's just at the moment in a car that he doesn't work well with, which happens to all drivers. Was yeah, it, it occurred to me that this might not be reflective of Hamilton's future, um, a, you know, potential in the car because as they bring upgrades and he gets used to it, he he might go up the standings. But currently, he's got twenty eight points in seventh place. It is not looking very good for him at the moment. And on Instagram, though, he did say that his masterpiece is not finished and he would decide when his masterpiece is finished. So I think he's actually sticking around. I see the rumours, the rumour mongers are mongering yet again, saying, oh, well, <laughs> he's going to be leaving the sport very soon because he's not in a car that's that's good or, um, you know, something along those lines. And I don't think that's true at all. I think the realities are setting in for Hamilton that he is going to have to work harder than he has before because it's a difficult car. Russell has that sort of advantage coming from Williams. So that's it. But there's no doubt that Hamilton has potential this year because he's already climbed up onto the podium once. So I think it's just a matter of waiting for those upgrades to come rather than, you know, waiting for, for Hamilton to either drop out the sport or pick another team, whatever it is the rumour mongers this week are deciding Hamilton's future is going to be. Uh, Lewis Hamilton and the lower reaches of the, the top 15 let alone the top 10 it's quite weird to see really um but i mean yeah i don't know it's it's hard to explain because it is his team you think if someone was going to get on top of a, a ropey car it would be him but he just hasn't he hasn't cracked it so far first race in bahrain got that podium was quite a bit ahead of russell uh, I know Russell made that mistake in Q3, but Hamilton was on top of things. But since then, I think it's three um, times in a row he's out-qualified. Russell's out-qualified Hamilton. And it's also three times in a row that Russell has finished ahead of Hamilton. So, interesting dynamic in that team, which of course... But I mean, you hear from the outside, they're working very well together, um, which is a credit to both of them so far, considering the history of teammates in that team and what was what happened many years ago with Hamilton and Rosberg. But yeah, it's strange to see Hamilton not being able to ring. He's not even. It's not. It's not even like he's ringing the maximum out of the car. Like if he'd come seventh or eighth in Imola, you could say, well, it's not great, but he's probably got the best he could from that machine. But he was just all his deficiencies are being shown. So the the side pods or the we we call them the no pods. Um, they're not really giving much of an aerodynamic advantage. Um, I wonder if there's a problem there with cooling and heating underneath those because there's been history in the past of teams who go with a radical side pod design um, then leads to overheating because everything's kind of tightly packed together. The Mercedes engine being less than ideal. It's crazy how the Mercedes engine used to be the benchmark at the very start of the hybrid era. It was the hybrid era. It was streets ahead of any other engine on the grid whilst now it's lagging behind even the new and at times unreliable Red Bull powertrain. So that's something else which isn't helping their cause. And you're right, it will inevitably lead to speculation about Hamilton's future. And there always is. I, for one, as much as the rumour mill was in the end exaggerated, I part of me thought he might have dropped out after the debacle at Abu Dhabi last season. Uh, such did he feel, um, the amount, or the amount of injustice that he he felt because of that. But in terms of where he would go, honestly, he's got a two-year contract with Mercedes... Red Bull have got Verstappen until 2028. Uh, Ferrari got both their drivers for the next three years. McLaren have got Lando Norris until 2025. Alpine, I mean, no one else is as competitive as those top four teams. So, realistically, he's staying at Mercedes. And he's just going to have to make the most of uh, most of the situation. Um, not that he'll be too far, as fussed about this, possibly, as statisticians might be. But he currently holds a, a unique record... Uh, joint with Michael Schumacher in that he has won in the most consecutive seasons uh, in a Formula 1 driver's career and also he's the only driver to have won a race in every single season of his Formula 1 career so that's a unique statistic but ever since first year 2007 every year even in 2009 when he had dreadful McLaren car he won a couple of races then even in 2013 in the first year of Mercedes he got a win in Budapest I believe it was 
So it'd be interesting to see, because I think that record could be gen- under genuine threat, because at the moment, that's not a race-winning car at all. And once again, throw it back to a prediction I made about, oh, Mercedes, they'll turn it round. You know, they're um, they're the best at developing a car on the grid. Well, so far, they've kind of, they haven't found anything yet. And of course, it's a long season. But yeah, seeing Hamilton down in 13th was quite unusual. And you wonder if it will be something that's repeated over the coming weeks. But we'll have to wait and see, really. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. <laughs> I mean, it's remarkable, isn't it, when you hear Lewis Hamilton saying only a sixth the way through the season that, oh, there's no chance they're going to win a championship. You initially think, oh, it's classic Mercedes mind games. I've heard this all before. Ha, 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 ha. Particularly after last season where some will say he was robbed from winning his eighth world championship and breaking that record by Michael Schumacher. But as you say, I think it's very fair to say that Mercedes are unlikely currently to win a race at any circuit, be it Russell or Lewis Hamilton, because they've got four cars that if they all finish are above them, are better than them and that will ultimately overtake them if need be or qualify ahead of them. We hear that Mercedes are bringing upgrades to Miami, namely in the uh, form of a lower drag rear wing to help combat those awful porpoising issues. But um, as they say themselves, there's a long way to go in terms of unravelling the issues they have and getting themselves to be competitive as Red Bull and Ferrari are. I think it's fair to say that we won't see Lewis Hamilton I dare say win a race, you say I'm prepared to make that bold prediction this early on because upgrades are coming, they say, yes, but we've got some upgrades coming at Miami and then you'll have another portion of upgrades coming around the sort of summer recess uh, moment, I guess, Mm. the break there. And then that's halfway through the season. And as we say, Red Bull will be upgrading. They've already fixed their reliability issues. Ferrari are looking very solid and will make upgrades themselves. McLaren as well, after only four races, are showing how quickly they can turn it around. You've then got a really packed midfield, becoming even more packed, I'd say, by the fact that Aston Martin are accumulating points now and solving their issues. So this is a very different landscape to what we've seen before, where it was Mercedes having to battle against one team. Now they're battling against is to coin a phrase in Toto Wolf and Drive to Survive, everyone has a target on their back because aside from one or two teams, namely Williams, any of the teams on there could give Mercedes currently a run for their money. And as we say, they're not going to be standing still themselves. So it is a really bizarre situation to be in. I didn't think that Mercedes would be in this scenario, namely Lewis Hamilton would be, as I said at the start, not scoring points in Imola and just scoring points in Saudi Arabia after the awful qualifying session there. He will improve, but um, hats off as well to George Russell for doing so well after being a debutant in this uh, very difficult Mercedes car. I suppose the question now is, do we see Lewis Hamilton really dig deep and showing the qualities that he had before and sort of reinvigorating himself and going back to the archives and using the knowledge he had there from the awful days he had with McLaren before he left to really get the best out of the car? Or does he somewhat have no response at all and just sort of peter out? I don't think he will, but I think this season is definitely a write-off. And in that regard, you've got to think, well, how far up can he finish or how low can he finish will he finish higher than seventh i don't think it's a guarantee but i think anything lower than that would probably be unlikely at this current state but as we say we're only a sixth way through this season so all to play for really yeah we're, we're certainly living up to our name of uh over analysis of f1 in review the the i suppose the issue is for hamilton is he's got such a long way to go at the moment just to get himself into i suppose that that top-ish uh, set of, of positions. I mean, he, he does only have 28 points. He's got a bit of a way to go to catch up to Perez, who at the same time has 54 points. That's nearly double the amount of points he's going to get. Although given <laughs> Sainz's current, um, yeah, his current reliability issues and his problems he's had, perhaps it is doable. We, we're not quite sure yet. But we no one actually knows from the outside why Mercedes has gone with the end or the car design that they've gone for because they clearly have spotted something that we haven't seen or they know where their long-term development projection is going to going to take them and in formula one if you don't know you, you're not actually allowed to run the cars in the wind tunnel you have to do it through models so that's a difference for example between indycar and formula one in, in indycar they have lots of 
ground effect um, cars, but they uh, they are actually, I believe, allowed to run it in the wind tunnel. So that's how they, they can sort of engineer that out. F1 is a bit different because they've got to do it all through the, the models and models don't really porpoise in wind tunnels. And so that's part of the reason why, as it's discovered, all these teams have gone, hold on a minute, our cars are bouncing. We didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, so when we say going forward, ha- Hamilton might not be able to finish very high, well, we're, we're kind of looking at his car right now and thinking where well, that's going to end. Although saying that he did, you know, he can make up the place and he can go a bit higher. I worry about how well they're going to do in somewhere like Monaco, you know, those sort of slow tracks. I believe they'll be slightly better than the medium to fast tracks. But it's it's if, you, if I had to bet, I would say Hamilton's going to finish this season around the sort of um, fifth, fourth mark maybe but the problem is russell's there um so yeah hamilton's got a bit of a way to get to perez because perez got 54 points um I, I, yeah i think i said science earlier i meant perez um science has got 38 points it's certainly not over yet for, for hamilton but if i'm honest i completely agree with him that i think it's out of reach now him winning the season um and, and taking his eighth world championship i think mercedes is out of it as well because leclerc's got 86 points it's just it's a crazy lead he's got now over someone like Hamilton, let alone someone like Verstappen, who's, you know, bearing down on his heels now. And as you say, Tom, although now you might have jinxed it, Red Bull have uh, fixed their <laughs> the reliability issues. This is when in Miami, Red Bull get a double DNF, probably because of Sonoda piling into them or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But I, I don't think it's fair, though, to necessarily completely blame Hamilton. And it's very easy to blame Hamilton because he's the driver and Russell has kind of made the car shine a bit. Because I, I, I do kind of see where you're coming from there. But I think Hamilton is doing his best. and I think it just doesn't suit him. And mm. we're very sympathetic to other drivers down the, down the field and in the past, actually, who have had periods where they've not been doing particularly well in a car. I mean, just look at our sympathy for someone like Pierre Gasly, who was really not doing very well in the Red Bull car, which, let's not forget, was awful to drive and only Verstappen could make it work. And of course, that didn't actually reflect on Gasly's talent. So, you know, there's, there's, it's worth bearing in mind that if you put Hamilton in that Ferrari, do I think he could be challenging Verstappen for the World Championship? Probably do, because he is, he is a fantastic driver. But I think what we're all going to ask and what we're going to find out is how is Hamilton able going to be able to extract every inch of performance from the Mercedes? And we don't know that yet because Mercedes can't even extract all the performance. They're having to run it high. They're having to do adjustments that they don't want to do. Hamilton had to run in Imola, the, the car, in a fully wet setup. So that was that sort of factor playing in as well. There are all these factors playing um, against Hamilton at the moment. And Russell has just been doing a great job of, I suppose, working with the car. And yes, he might be doing a better job at the moment than than Hamilton. But, you know, to me, that's not something to be worried about. Because for the first time, I think, looking at that list, you know, Leclerc, Verstappen, Russell, Sainz, Norris. This is the next generation. This is the first year I've thought, wow. This is the new generation taking over. I don't particularly remember, if I'm honest, the hype that was surrounding Hamilton in that 2007 sort of period. But I suspect it felt the same way then. I was only 10 years old. So uh, I, you know, it felt, I feel like it felt kind of the same way when you had Hamilton and Alonso taking over from the old guard and moving on from Schumacher era. And I feel like we're in that era right now. So it's not so much as a criticism of Hamilton as, as Mercedes is doing particularly well, but more of a transition to the new era of Formula One, the era of Leclerc, mm. the Stappen, Russell, Norris. And to be honest, I think I think Formula One's in really safe hands. 
Absolutely, and I suppose the reason why many of us, including ourselves, are slightly more harsh on Hamilton versus others is because he has won seven world championships, we know how good he is, and we almost expect him to weather any storm and to get the very best out of some of the you know, the worst cars or less favourable conditions, shall we say. So to see, I suppose, Hamilton's human element come out again and to see that he's not you know, sort of an all-knowing and um, undefeatable man shows that once again, you know, it doesn't mean he's doing bad, it's just because of how high we hold him and the expectations we have on him. I mean, even now, when you go and see uh, Formula 1 races, for example, people who haven't been watching the sport for ages go, oh yeah, um, oh yeah, you watch Formula 1, how's, uh, how's Hamilton doing? And then when you go and say, oh yeah, you finished P13, they're like, sorry, sorry, sounds like you said P13 there, is it? Yeah, P13. Well, what's going on? What's going on? It's like, well, it's, it's not his fault. He didn't become an awful driver overnight. It's just because there's many other factors going on. He'll, he'll be back. Just he's having a blip at the moment. A, a well-deserved blip, you'd say. Looking back at the last few seasons, he's had where he's been untouchable. So it's quite incredible to see. But I don't think there's any reason for anyone to panic. As Hamilton said himself, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Just the question is, how does he react? Because he's not been in the scenario for so long now. And we started off this episode talking about the man that's P7 in the Drivers' Championship. Let's take a step down now to P8. Valtteri Bottas, the former teammate of Lewis Hamilton, is having quite the start to the new season. He's four points behind his former teammate and superior, Lewis Hamilton. And he's actually been doing quite well versus successor as well, George Russell, pushing him all the way to uh, fifth place, uh, just behind him, shall I say, four fifth place in Imola, and out qualifying him in Bahrain and Hamilton are qualifying him in Imola and yes he's not been on the podium but did anyone really expect that in an Alfa Romeo considering how poorly they did last season I can't say I did and we all know how good a driver he can be in many weekends he's outperformed Hamilton on Saturdays and Sundays and I don't think anyone really expected him to beat the world champion at his own game essentially when he's brought in essentially as a stopgap when everyone's taken aback namely Mercedes by the fact that Nico Rosberg decided no more I don't fancy another season of fighting. But what do we make of uh, Valtteri Bartas' season so far? How do we rate him compared to, I suppose, what we thought of him early? And how high can he go in this championship in terms of positions? And could we actually see him on the podium at a later date? Because I think he's definitely got the equipment to uh, give many cars around him, Mercedes included, a room for their money. Yeah, I mean, I think Bottas has kind of started the way that we, I feel like we imagined he might because... For me, he's still. It's not like when Raikkonen joined Alfa Romeo and he was what he was forty by then or something. He was in the twilight of his career. He was just going there for a bit, for a bit more, few years for his love of racing. Bottas is still. We forget he's only thirty-one, thirty-two. I want to say, so he's still got a few years ahead of him, and he will be. He is a fantastic asset to that Alfa Romeo team. He's got bags of experience. He's a nine-time race winner, lest we forget. Um, not that many drivers well only like what four or five drivers in the sport have won nine races or more um, and his leadership as well his ability to develop a car to know what ticks he worked for a world championship winning team for five years so he's been in the presence or in uh, environment of excellence so he knows what excellence looks like um, so I'm not I mean for me I'm not surprised he's making as good a start as he has because as well, he's got... The other thing that needed to fall for him, really, was for the Alfa Romeo to be semi-decent. Last year, it was a slow car, ninth fastest at best. But this year, it's a it's a, it's a good unit. It's a good unit. It's got the Ferrari power unit in it, which is a strong power unit. It's aer- more aerodynamically sound. Uh, they're currently lying fifth in the Constructors' Championship, ahead of Alpine, who we've considered to have a very good start to the season. Ahead of Alfa Tauri, who usually spring a surprise and turn up good. Ahead of Haas who've also turned up with a much more improved car so far this season. So um, Bottas is, you could call it a resurgence, I guess, because last year was a bit of an underwhelming one for him. It's been a it's been a good resurgence. He's got two top sixes, fifth in Imola, pushing Russell all the way. Lots of people I know, I can or I can imagine cheering on uh, Bottas to overtake that uh, the car of his former team, just because it'd be funny. Uh, for them having ditched him to then upstage them. But, yeah, I think he's doing a brilliant job. And in terms of being on the podium, you always get, in F1 season, when you have 
say two or three teams who are up the front, you always get outside of that. You get a few drivers who think, you know what, they could be a, a shout for a podium at different stages in the season. And we got a few of those this year. The Alpine cars could definitely nab a podium. I reckon Kevin Magnussen maybe could could nab a podium at some point. Dan, Daniel Ricciardo could find... I mean, Lando Norris got on the podium, so I reckon Daniel Ricciardo could get himself on the podium. Valtteri Bottas is definitely one of those. I mean, he's got the experience. He's looks like he's slotted into that team well. We see some drivers, i.e. Ricardo, last year and a bit this year, not slot into a team particularly well. But Bottas looks like he's just gone in. It's easier, I imagine, to get your feet under the table when the driver on the other side of the garage is a rookie, admittedly. But he's still, he's gone in, he's put his foot down. And it's almost like he's thriving at being able to lead a team. Because um, he's not really done it in his F1 career. Williams, yes, he was quicker than Massa, Felipe Massa that is. But Massa was this experienced statesman of Formula One who I can imagine they both like ran the team, not ran the team, but but like in terms of driver leadership, they like co-led because of Bottas's speed with Massa's experience. Bottas obviously up against Hamilton. Hamilton's going to be your de facto team leader. But here, Bottas has, for the first time in his career, the chance to be that team leader, to take the lead in developing setup, uh, developing the car, and everything surrounding and associated with that. So I think he's thriving. And yeah, I think it's brilliant for him. And also good for Formula 1 to have a competitive up for it, Valtteri Bottas. Absolutely. Because, you know, a happy Valtteri Bottas is the best Valtteri Bottas, as we all know. And for many, well, many years of this of this podcast, we've always called Bottas sort of Mr. Beige. Haven't we? And uh, <laughs> and by that we mean Mr. Reliable, I suppose. And he hasn't been particularly exciting. And I think that's maybe because James at Mercedes has been you know, whipping Bottas into line. Ah, don't you dare have an opinion, Bottas. You're not allowed one of those. Uh, <laughs> um, at least we forget Bottas in Zandervoort when uh, he decided to just demonstrate that he'd get fastest lap and then he backed off and then end up getting the fastest lap. If you haven't seen the Zandervoort race, go back and watch it because that bit is particularly spicy. And you can definitely sense there is a bit of tension in the in the Formula One paddock in that Mercedes paddock. Um, yeah, I believe actually now looking back at, at um, Drive to Survive, that was the weekend after Toto told George that he was getting the seat. So it might have been that Bottas was like, well, I haven't got the seat anyway. Look how fast I really am, everybody. And we're again seeing how fast he really is. Well, th- this year, he's only four points behind Hamilton in eighth place in an Alfa Romeo, which is just nuts. It's great to see Alfa Romeo doing well, actually, because as a, as a team, they have a huge Formula One history. Let's not forget that it was a Mr. Ferrari who joined the Alfa Romeo racing team you know, back in the day and then spun out. And they and Ferrari and Alfa Romeo are very, very closely tied together um, in not only in their their the Formula One world, but also in the wider automotive world. And Bottas has played the ultimate Uno reverse card. He's gone, well, ah, I see your speed and that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you. Ha ha, look here I am. And Bottas this year is being the master of just it being in a relatively good car, playing it all safe, like and getting into the position where he becomes a threat. In Imola, he was well, he was sitting pretty in his in the car and just catching up to the rest of the pack slowly and you know I, I think that's his game this year he is very much of the of the mindset that he knows that he's fast and can stay out of trouble and therefore he can capitalize to make good points it would be amazing if he got on the podium I don't think he can if I'm if I'm honest I think that there are too many good cars this year with too many good drivers in it but to be fair be in eighth place that's brilliant i mean he, he's beating people like daniel ricardo he's beating even kevin magnuson sebastian vettel alonso guan you know I, I don't need to go on really he is and he's only a few places behind his old teammate you know he is bottas has stepped out of the shadows now into the sunlight and he's if i'm honest he's my favorite driver this year he just is he is nice. he's yeah. just so good this year and he looks like he's enjoying himself as well he has finally got into a team where, well, for the first time since Williams, they're like, oh, yeah, well, you're just, you know, you are Valtteri Bottas. You are 
a, you know, a good driver and you can kind of do what you want. Rather in Mercedes, he was Valtteri Bottas, helper of Hamilton. And I feel like that's perhaps what's driving Russell at the moment to not fall into that trap. But Bottas is, we know, a great driver. And I see him staying in the sport for a bit longer. It'd be, I, I'm hoping he's sort of taking on that role of uh, tutor for Guan Yu Zhou, but he's, yeah, Zhou's not doing all that well. And to be honest, as far as Bottas, I would just be every race just demonstrating again that he made the right choice, you know, maybe giving Toto Wolf a cheeky wink here and there as he goes past, um, <laughs> goes past Hamilton or, or uh, if that, when that happens and, or out qualifies him or whatever. But yeah, I, I think we have some real surprises this year. And Valtteri Bottas' insane performance is is one of them. And I'm really hoping he sort of stays in the eighth position. If he can get in front of Hamilton, that would just be nuts. But I mean, I don't see Mercedes staying still, so I don't think he will. But he, if he wanted to prove a point, I think he definitely has has done so. And I think he's worthy of growing his little moustache back like he did in, in Valtteri Bottas 2.0 evil Bottas, as, as we called it at the time, I think, Tom. Absolutely, yeah. And what a coup it was for Alfa Romeo to get Bottas. As you say, Angus and Tristan, you know, he's 32 years old. He's got so much experience. This is almost a better version of when they signed Raikkonen because he's bringing not only that experience, but he's also got, what, five, six, seven years left in the tank. And it's so important, isn't it, when you're a midfield team like Alfa Romeo after a really dodgy past two seasons, I say, where they're looking quite stale, they need to sort of get up the rankings when it came to the constructors and I'd say them having Bottas alongside with a very good kit namely courtesy of the Ferrari engine could be the difference really between them and your Alpines and your AlphaTauris and your Hasses because while they have their respective team leaders you know you've got the Alonso's at Alpine you've got Vettel at Aston Martin you've got Magnussen at Haas at Gasly at AlphaTauri but aside from Gasly aside a lot of them are at the very twilight of their uh, career, but arguably Bottas is, is very centre now. He's at the, the sort of the, the the peak Bottas in terms of ability because he's not only still you know match fit, race fit, but he's also also has that experience in coming from Mercedes, as we say. So in that regard, I do back Alfa Romeo to get that fifth place currently because of those two factors. How high can he go? Well, I'd be astounded if he did beat Lewis Hamilton, as you say, but he's already putting himself in a rather good position to do that if the situation does arise and I mean aside from that he could easily I think continue to be Ocon and Magnussen even Daniel Ricciardo as well so I think him getting eighth place in a rather solid Alfa Romeo car also as well you know, having the ability, as we say, to go and nab places off cars that don't finish ahead of them owing to reliability issues uh, or otherwise is really where he should be and where Alfa Romeo should be because they've come on leaps and bounds, really, courtesy of the new regulation changes, courtesy as well, I think, of the fact that they've put a lot more money into this year's development versus last year's, as many cars did. But think of the longer-term impacts that could have as well. We could see an even better Alfa Romeo car for Valtteri Bottas next season, along with Guan Yu Zhou. And that can mean the certainty, perhaps, of uh, podiums here or there or winning sprints here or there as well. So it's great to see Bottas doing so well because I think we all fell into that trap, didn't we, of thinking that Bottas wasn't that good because he wasn't beating seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton every week. You know, not not owing to his raw pace, but largely due to uh, internal factors when it came to Mercedes. And Bottas not really having the ability to go, well, hang on, guys, I'm putting my foot down because I think, go oh, okay then we'll get someone else in like uh, oh yeah George Russell so he was very much constrained and, and tied in that regard but what a coup as I say by Alfa Romeo definitely to their advantage and to Bottas's advantage as well in that regard because the limelight is no longer on him until he does extremely well he's no longer you know focused on as the next best thing to Hamilton or the man that has to help Hamilton he is just Bottas doing his own thing racing rather well and it's proving once again, how good he is and how good he can be when he's has a team built around him and he's not just seen as the Hamilton helper. So credit to him. Long way to continue. So if I said to you, how long is Valtteri Bottas going to stay in the sport then with his current, I suppose, uh, setup with 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 Alfa Romeo? How how long do you th- do you think he's going to stay there? Because if you, if I said that to you, um, in Mercedes time. 
I'd have thought Bottas would sort of bow out and perhaps go, well, that's enough of that now. It was all a bit bit much. Um, but looking at his performance now, do you think he's he's going to stay in for longer or do you think he's going to act as maybe a mentor for Joe and then bow? What do we think? I could see him staying there for five years and that would take him to, what, 37 years old? And then he may do one more year than that or realise I'm not as race fit as I was. It's not for me. I'll buy out. I'll buy out. I think if he's got the drive, then he can keep going. I mean, obviously, depends on many things like will Alfa Romeo, would they become a more competitive proposition? Would he be... I feel like... Not that he's not committed to Alfa Romeo, but he's won races... And you'd think he'd want a taste of that again. So would he stick around with Alfa Romeo only if they proved that they could be a race-winning outfit? If there was an opening at another team further up the grid, would he take it? Would they take him? Who knows, to be honest. Who knows? He may spend... It reminds me a bit of... um, This is throwing it back a little bit, but David Coulthard, who spent many years at McLaren as a very good driver, but as basically like a second driver in all but name, to Mika Hakkinen and then a bit to Kimi Raikkonen way back, like going back 20 years now. And then Coulthard spent the last four years of his career at Red Bull and he was still, this is Red Bull before they became a top, top team. And Coulthard was still very competitive and he still had the speed, maybe until his last season when it diminished a little bit. And he, and he was like, I want to say 37, 38 when he retired. So he kind of joined a midfield team around about the same age Bottas has done. So would Bottas do that kind of thing? Just drive around for four or five more years in a team which is competitive but not race winning and then just quietly go out the sport, perhaps? Where could he go then, do you think, Angus? Just hypothetically for academic purposes. where How high could he go if he were to leave Alfa Romeo? Well, it depends. I think he, he'd be a very good... I can see him like a, like a Sergio Perez is for example, in his role at Red Bull, does not fit the mould of young Red Bull driver coming through. And Perez mm-hmm. may, when the next Red Bull prospect comes through, end up being a stopgap for that. So I feel like Bottas would be a similar thing, like he might be a stopgap for a top team looking for or waiting for someone to, to come through. But, I mean, Bottas at, I don't know, McLaren, perhaps? But I know they'd want to be looking at younger drivers... Bottas, uh, I was about to say Bottas at Mercedes when Hamilton retires, but don't know about Imagine. that. Um, <laughs> See, so, yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe McLaren, but yeah, it's it's yeah hypothetical, but he could, he could he could definitely be a very good. <laughs> I was about to say he could be a very good number two to say Norris, but why would he want to be a number two again? So maybe Alfa Romeo will, will be where he's happiest and he can just ride off into the sunset quietly. <laughs> oh bless him! Well, I think we all we all hope Bottas. Yeah, he stays in the sport for a bit longer. Unfortunately, I, I guess the other half of that is he is, I, I suppose, part of the old guard, which is weird to think. But having that, having that link to Hamilton and the old Williams back when Williams was actually a competitive team, oh bless them, you know, will will mean that he will have to move out of the way relatively soon, I guess. And I suppose I see him like like Sebastian Vettel as a kind of driver that will stay in the sport only as they are doing well, which is part of the reason why I think Sebastian Vettel's not going to be in the sport for very much longer. Again, he, he isn't doing particularly well in this Aston Martin. And although um, Bottas is doing well in the Alfa Romeo, I think if that would if the, the performance of the car was to drop back a bit, um, relatively speaking, to the sort of nearer the back of the grid, the eighth, seventh position in total then I think he will probably want to want to leave the sport, which is fair enough. But I think his options of where to go after this is, is always going to be very limited. There aren't many drivers who can go from the top team to a mid-team, as Alfa Romeo now are, and then straight back up to the top team. I wonder if in a weird turn of fate, if Hamilton suddenly left, whether or not Toto would be like, hey, Valtteri... <laughs> We like you. You can work with us. Would you like to come back? So that might be a. I'm sure there's some sort of fan fiction out there from from one of the fans <laughs> written about uh, that sort of thing. But I don't know. I think I think Bottas wouldn't want to anyway. I think he's over that pressure. I think he he likes to be in his where he is now with the team completely focused on him because he'd be playing second fiddle to Russell. Let's face it. Mercedes is now 
the Russell backing team or will be going forward into the future once Hamilton's not in anymore. Because that link to, between Russell and Toto and now Mercedes backing of him in the future. So if I was Bottas, I'd be riding high knowing that I've, you know, metaphorically stuck two fingers up at your old employer who didn't really value you as much and all of us as well. And if, you know, I'm sure Bottas is a, an avid listener to this particular podcast, but, you know, he is not Mr. Beige at the moment. As I say, one of my favourite drivers on the grid. But I suppose we'll only, we'll have to wait and find out. But I don't think he's going to go anywhere else. I think he'll be exiting the sport after this. And then you know, exposing a gaping void in, in talent as he uh, as he leaves with, you know, his head held high. Yes, and going from a man who's been in Formula 1 for nearly a decade now to someone who's in his second season... Mick Schumacher, you may have heard the name before, of course he is the direct descendant of the seven-time world champion Michael Schumacher, and it's fair to say that having that name and having that relationship doesn't fare you too well in terms of the attention you're going to get and the expectation that people have on you in terms of what you'll do, but it's fair to say that since coming up from Formula 2 and winning that championship, he's hardly set the world alight, and yes, last year's Haas was an absolute dog, uh, owing to the fact that Little or no development was done to it past the first few races, putting a lot of money into this season's car, and rightly so, looking how well they've been doing. But when you've got a better car and you've got not such a pitifully poor teammate in Mazepin, you've now got K-Mag who's finishing P5, P8, P9, and you consider that Mick Schumacher has yet to score points in a full F1 race. Yes, he got P10 in the sprint, but that counted for nothing, literally in points. And his highest uh, position there is P11, his lowest P17. He had that huge crash in Saudi Arabia. It's fair to say that regardless of his name, he's got a point to prove about whether he is that good, particularly when he's only one year younger than George Russell, who's doing so well with Mercedes at the moment. So what do we think then in terms of Mick Schumacher? Because in my view, it's one of those where if he was called a different name, if he wasn't German, if he wasn't the direct descendant of Michael Schumacher, then we'd be calling him out like we would Latifi, Stroll, uh, Mazepin of old and saying, oh, you're just here because you're bringing in money and not a lot else and you should give the seat up for someone else more deserving. So, uh, am, I, am I being too harsh there or does Mick Schumacher have a point to prove moving forwards? Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one because I feel like we've given Mick Schumacher not free ride the last year or so, but not a, I know the phrase free hit. We gave him a free hit because it was a case of oh you know what the house of twenty twenty one was so bad and you know what it's fine Mick don't worry sunshine you can have a bit of time you can get used to things we like you get used to Formula One etc. Um, but now is in a more competitive car. Yes, he's had some events conspire against him. You mentioned his crash in Saudi Arabia. I mean, straight away, that's one less race which he's raced. So that goes against him. But again, that's a mistake he made. So, like, it's, it's his own error which has led to him missing that race. In Imola, at the start, he was in a, in a decent position. He was in 11th or 10th, I think, on the grid off the sprint. And then, in a slight melee at the first corner, clips Alonso and then spins around onto the grass. This is just after the Ricardo and Science incident. So then loses all the ground and then gets stuck in a rut for the rest of the race. And it's just, I don't know whether we're viewing this more harshly when you look at how well Magnussen has started after he's had a year out of the sport and was called in literally about three working days before the the season started. But maybe the fact that that person who's been called in so late has started so well means we're now the heat's going on to, to Mick Schumacher. And has led us to think, well, hang on, should he not be up to speed or acclimatising better? And I think there is an argument to say that he should be, because he's had a bit of time. One thing which a lot of pundits I've heard quote about Mick Schumacher is that he takes time to get going when he's in a new series. And if you look at his results, I'm looking through now his results from his junior formulae, they back that up. First year of Formula 4, he came 10th, but his second year he came 2nd. In his first year of Formula 3, he came 12th, but then he won it in his second year. And then Formula 2, he came 12th again uh, in 2019 with one race win. And then 2020, the year after, he won the F2 Championship. So he has a track record of starting slowly in his first year 
And then, but, but year two, once he's got that year behind him, he really like gets gets down to it and really, really brings the points home. And in two of those three times, he won the championship. And I'm, I'm of course, Formula One. I'm not saying, oh, Mick Schumacher, he's had a year. Mick Schumacher, world champion, 2022 confirmed. Has to be happening. Um, realistic. Let's be realistic. He's in a Haas, which is quicker than last year, but he's not going to win a championship. But we need to be seeing improvements at least. And I feel like in qualifying, the speed is there a bit. Is better. Admittedly, he was up against Nikita Mazepin last year, so in the nicest possible way, it wasn't hard to look fast up when you're up against the driver he was up against. Um, but I feel like he's just the word to describe it is just underwhelming so far. I, I'm expecting more, considering where Magnussen is and the fact that Haas is quick and it's one of those where, and I've seen it loads of times in midfield teams where they have a quick car at the start of the season and you think, right, you've got to take advantage whilst everyone's getting their, their heads together, getting stuff sorted, get those points. If you're in points position, if you're in a good position, don't take too many risks, just bring the points home because that will give you a bit of ground in the Constructors' Championship early doors, even against your midfield rivals. But little mistakes like the, the Jeddah crash, the spin in Imola, that's definitely cost some points here and there. And even if it wouldn't bring his points total up to that of Magnussen's, if we're looking at a team perspective, it still had a detrimental effect. So I feel like he has to up his game. And it's not the point anymore where we're like, oh, you're really nice, Mick. I like you. You're just going to let you off for a bit. You know, your teammate's a bit a bit, a bit tricky. So do your best, Mick. All right, no worries. See you next year. Um, and, now, and now it's got to be a case of, right, Mick, come on, mate. Like, they're paying you a lot. You're in Formula 1. The standards are higher, the expectations are higher, start delivery. And realistically, he will stay in Formula 1 for quite a few years because one, he's Ferrari Driver Academy and despite that um, shop door now being closed with Leclerc and Sainz both signed up, with two Ferrari-affiliated teams and Alfa Romeo and Haas on the grid, that's still a couple of seats which are open to Schumacher, you'd think. And because from the top of my head there aren't, the Ferrari Driver Academy doesn't have as many people coming through anymore, like the ones who did come through. Um, well, Leclerc, one of them. Giovinazzi no longer with us. In Formula 1, that is. And Mick Schumacher in Formula 1, yeah. And, <laughs> yes. Mick, and Mick Schumacher on the grid. There isn't as much of a threat from behind unless someone I missed or someone comes from nowhere through the karting and junior formula scenes. So he's got time to develop but and there are seats available, but he, he has to step it up, I feel. And points have to come soon sooner rather than later for sure when i assess schumacher's performance i think i have to do it by resetting the clock this year because it's very easy to think that schumacher's had two years in that car and he hasn't he's actually only had four races in that car he's joined formula one at the end of the last era and just at the end of that season when you think okay we're going to be you know in traditional formula one uh, years you would think okay well this is the beginning then we move on slightly and it's a bit of an adjustment but it's you know it's, it's a building on the old building blocks okay but no at the end of last season we rip, ripped the rug out of all the teams and said start again and we said to the drivers unlearn everything you know about the old old cars with your lovely big wings and complicated aerodynamic surfaces that um that are affixed to them and now learn a different way of driving it's all on the floor and so Schumacher has actually only been in that car for four races and even then he was un unwell for one of them or sorry you know with that, that accident so three races so I can excuse his poor performance at the moment I think it's the same problem that Latifi has actually he's kind of the same issue where he took ages and Latifi did take ages to get up to speed and finally last year it was sort of matching Russell, if you remember, and then this year, brand new regulations, brand new car, caused him a whole load of problems, and I'm sure we'll come to Latifi at some other point, but for Schumacher, I believe it's the same sort of thing, and it must be really difficult joining a, a sport at the end of the last era, and then being thrown into the new car, and so the response then is, well, why is Magnussen doing so well? And I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Magnussen must be a magic man, okay? That's all I can say. Some t drivers must be able to 
adapt really, really quickly. Or perhaps Magnussen, as it turns out, is incredibly well suited to driving a ground effect a car. But Schumacher, I think, will be up to speed by the end of next year, not this year. So do I have some sympathy for him? Yes, I do. Why am I being kinder to um, Schumacher than Latifi and Stroll? And I think the answer to that is because Schumacher seems to be trying to learn about the sport and the car. Latifi and Stroll, well, Stroll still cannot look in his mirrors, which is irritating. <laughs> and that's an ongoing problem. And Latifi, every time he has an accident, he goes, oh, the car just went out from underneath me. I don't know why I did that. You know, whereas I think Schumacher, I see Schumacher and I think he's trying to learn. So I'm, I'm able to forgive his mistakes so long as they're for a reason. And let's not forget that making a mistake is the way that you do get better. So I am being kind on him. Yes, I do have a soft spot for the name. When do I think he's going to get up to speed? End of next year, if not late, late this year. Because the new regulations has played havoc with the drivers. I mean, just look at Lewis Hamilton, for example. So, yeah, I, I hope by the end of the season... I'll be able to say, look, I was right. He's he's now doing much better as he's picked up and got up to speed. But only only time will tell with this one. Well, there's no doubt, really, it has been a disappointing start for Mick Schumacher in terms of his season. And no stat other than the fact that Guan Yu Zhou, whose debut it is, has scored more F1 points than him after four races and has outperformed him in terms of good position by the end, finished higher than Mick Schumacher. And of course, I, I take the point that these are different cars, there's different setups than last year. But people have been saying, well, Guan Yu Zhou's not had a great season, uh, he's largely brought in for his money, jury's out on him, etc. Yet somehow, because of Schumacher, and I, I understand because of the name as well, and because of how well he's done previously in Formula 2, he seems to get a free pass. And as we say, I think he needs to now sort of needs to start showing his worth if he seriously wants that Ferrari seat because the question is, when does he want it? Because if he has the potential, which we know he has, and can uh, show that, he can have it either sooner, i.e. they get rid of someone like Sainz further in the future, which I think could happen if Schumacher shows his real potential, which he's showed in Formula 2, or if he's more of a slow burner, he can only get a few years in that Ferrari car, and there's no doubt that that is the ambition, ultimately, if he's serious about being in Formula 1 and doing well and replicating his dad's uh, form and achievements in some capacity, he wants that Ferrari seats but how many years does he want it for because as I say if he doesn't do too well now then Ferrari may will go well we've got these two drivers here there's no need for us to go and shoehorn him in or to you know make adjustments necessarily or to go and you know, alienate someone or sack them off early or pay them out early so yeah I think he does need to improve but and as we say that's highlighted I think very much by the fact that Magnussen has been doing so well after a year out I don't think it's over by any stretch of the imagination you know he's 23 years old he's got many a year to come in terms of formula one look at lewis hamilton for example how long he's raced he's got what 15 years plus really to go and show his worth but the name doesn't help but it hasn't been great for schumacher when you consider the last season he was seen as the success story look at him he's doing really well when you compare him to mazapin of course a driver that's not doing very well that was never really going to get off the the back two slots of the of the grid there when you're outperforming him and getting the car up to 17th it's seen as oh wow congratulations but now you know the pressure is on it's time to go and show what you can do because the very good car that Haas have there and then e-both drivers firing on all the cylinders really not only with Alfa Romeo and Bottas doing so well and Guan Yu Zhou picking at the occasional point but Alpine are looking really strong as well once their reliability issues are sorted which you know you would have thought they would happen in a few races time or at least by the summer break that's someone else to think about and then there's Aston Martin as well double points finish at Imola they seem to be improving so aside really from let's say the top echelon of teams and maybe one it really is packed there in that midfield and they need both drivers firing on all cylinders when you've got Alpha Tauri now seemingly doing that and all the other teams doing that so that only heightens the pressure but I don't think we should be putting more pressure on Schumacher because of the name because that's just well it's just unfair isn't it really you can't go and say oh yes because you share the blood of somebody and have the same surname you must be as good but he's shown he can do it in Formula 2 mm. He's hardly a dud driver, regardless of the money that he brings in. Just want to see him do it, really. 
And the break now from No Formula One is coming to an end. From Friday onwards, we will be at the new track of Miami. Who do we think's going to do well there? Do we looking at the circuit? Is there any car or constructor or driver you feel this is going to help or aid uh, the most? Looking at it from a sort of broad brush comparison, I think it looks somewhat similar in many capacities to to Spain, but helpfully a lot better insofar there seems to be definitely more straights and I'm led to believe more DRS uh, zones there as well. But what do we think about the Miami Grand Prix? Are we a fan of the circuit? Who do we think's going to do well there? I think it's going to be a, a, a track that favours someone like Ferrari. I'm going to predict that probably throughout the season because it's a nice safe bet. And then mm. I can turn around like, haha, I'm good at predicting things. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and if you have paid, uh, you know, the £4,000, I think, uh, well, dollars um, privilege to get onto the Miami beach, you can't actually see I'm doing air quotations there um, because this is radio. But if you did pay the extra $4,000 on top of your ticket, by the way, to get onto the fake beach and the fake harbour, to go onto the fake deck, to overlook the Ooh. fake boats, um, to overlook the track, I think you will see a particular um, Ferrari uh, car of Charles Leclerc doing quite well. It looks like it's going to be a pretty fast circuit. There's lots, of, very much of a party atmosphere. There's kind of a festival thing going on. I'm a big fan of that. And also the custom liveries and logos that we've had. I think it, we're going to have a pretty standard sort of lineup um, that we've seen and we've come to expect from the season so far. So Ferrari's doing really well. I'm hoping McLaren have got their act together. And again, this will benefit them. I mean, Bahrain sort of benefited them. So, um, I'm hoping that that sort of pace continues um, from, you know, keep that momentum going from Imola, please. And I, I'm also really rooting that finally Aston Martin might have got their act together as well. Now they're, they're sort of bringing upgrades, but hey, we can only hope. And if if Magnussen gets on the podium, I will. Well, I might even cry because that'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stick my neck out really here and say Ferrari and Red Bull will be the favourites. I know it's a rogue well, shout, but um, but uh, yeah, I mean, at the, stick at the end of the day, where I, think, I put my neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Tristan, I think you're right. that we could predict the same teams for every circuit at the moment, unless another team has a big resurgence. But just looking at the the circuit from a first glance, I mean, you've got. I mean, it's like many circuits these days. It's got some long straights. It's got some fast corners it's got some tight twiddly bits and a straight a long straight with a hairpin so it's pretty similar to lots of places these days but i mean mm. i might yeah i mean even if we talk about why ferrari and red will be the favorites i mean the long straights benefit their power units you got to feel that i mean imola for example they were the standout cars which was uh that was also a circuit with lots of higher speed corners and this miami track looks to have lots of especially that first sector lots of flowing corners a um, couple of big stops at turn 11 and turn 17. Looks here on the track map. But, yeah, I mean, I see no reason why the pecking order would change. If we're thinking McLaren, obviously they've been more volatile in their performance this season, with the high in particular coming last time out at Imola. I could see them being competitive again here. Looks like a similar... If we take out the element of, a street, of it being a street circuit, track characteristic-wise, it looks quite similar to Imola with you know straights and some fast corners but with more overtaking opportunities it looks like um, I think that's one of the main aims that they because what two of the two straights there are two straights that are absolutely ginormous by the looks of it um, so yeah I'd say early on Ferrari and Red Bull back those horses if I'm honest yeah, I think this is a good example, really, of a circuit that's been added to Formula 1 this season that looks really good. It doesn't look like something like the Vegas Grand Prix to come or even the uh, Jeddah International Street Circuit in Saudi Arabia, where it looks just a bit too simplistic in my mind. This one looks, as I say, similar, as we're saying there, to Imola to Spain. It's got a good variety in terms of straights as well as, as corners there. And I think this is going to be one where Leclerc wins... Uh, again, and the the battle between him and Verstappen and Ferrari and Red Bull is, is re reignited there. But who else is going to finish on the podium? Ooh, ooh. I think it's going to be Perez in second, and I think it's going to be Lando Norris in third. 
And it seems that's all we have time for in this episode of F1 in Review, episode 10. Thank you very much for tuning in, be that live on River Radio or via their Listen Back feature. Whether you're listening via the podcast format on your preferred provider, be that Apple, Spotify, Podfollow and the rest. You can follow myself, Tristan and F1 in Review just like that on Twitter if you type our names in. And now we look forward to round five of the F1 2022 season. We'll be going to Miami as we say. And we'll be starting on Friday with a more traditional setup. There is no sprint this weekend. And in terms of qualifying, that will be starting at 9pm British summertime and the race at 8.30pm. That's 8.30, not on the hour. When we return next week, we'll be looking back at that race and all the talking points from it. Moving forward to the Spanish Grand Prix, which is starting on May the 22nd. So once again, another break between Miami until we go to Europe for that race there. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to this hour's worth of F1 in Review and we'll see you next time.